doubts, your skeptical guide to religion. Welcome to Reasonable Doubts, the radio show and podcast for those who won't just take things on faith. Coming to you live from Grand Rapids, Michigan, the clasp on America's Bible bra. We are broadcasting this, our special live 100th episode from the studios of Public Reality Radio, WPRR Ada Grand Rapids and W237CZ Hudsonville, 1680 AM and 95.3 FM and streaming at publicrealityradio.org. My name is Dave Fletcher, and joining me here in the studio are my fellow Doubtcasters, Mr. Jeremy Bean. Hello, everybody. And teen pop sensation, Justin Schieber. Hello. Now, we are not joined, unfortunately, by uh, Dr. Professor Luke Galen. No, we are not. And first of all, uh, there are no April Fool's jokes today. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> because everything we say might be interpreted as an April Fool's <laughs> joke today. But no, unfortunately, the Dr. Professor was not able to join us today. Uh, he uh, he didn't want to brave the crowds or anything else like that, which is uh, disappointing. We we wanted him to be here. He's a really important part of this show, and uh, we would have loved him to be here to celebrate this with us today. But uh, but he didn't, and we're just going to have to make do and make the best of it. But we have an image of Luke. Here in the studio, with yeah, a graven image. He's not here yeah. in all dimensions. Yeah. He's... <laughs> yes, He's, two two dimensions of Luke are present here uh, as a warm reminder. <laughs> he, he has a leather vest on. <laughs> we actually got a Justin Bieber cutout and slapped yes. Luke's face on it and stuck it in the studio so we could be constantly reminded of his. Which uh, is actually taller than the real Doctor Professor. We should point out. Yeah, I tried to get a Hobbit, but <laughs> Hobbits are in high demand. And, yeah. Yeah. Tis the, tis the season for hobbits. Now, coming up on today's show, um, we've got some hard-hitting skeptic Sunday school, some good old-fashioned counter-apologetics, some polyatheism, and more. And, of course, we're taking your calls. Call us at 616-656-1680. That's 616-656-1680. To ask us your questions live on the air. Or if you can't call, if you're long distance or just scared of phones, you can contact us via Facebook or Twitter at Doubtcast, hashtag RD100, or send us your questions to our email, doubtcast at gmail.com, and we will try to respond to as many of those on air as we can. Yeah, this is exciting. We usually don't have a lot of uh, listener interaction except reading a few emails, and mm-hmm. this will be a fun fun change of pace. Yeah, we've actually I'm got a, little nervous. a swarm of people uh, here in the yeah. office surrounding the studio. I feel like I'm on the Today Show where they have the people outside the window. Um, it's a little bit intimidating, but um, yeah, there's no room in the parking lot. Anymore. There's no, but there's plenty of food, so plenty feel free to come by if you're in the area. Now, um, Let's start off talking about um, uh, another celebration of skepticism Mm -hmm. that happened this past week, which was the Reason Rally. Yeah. I didn't get to go because I have no money and children and that sort of thing. And you're saddled with a radio station. And I'm saddled with a radio station, (laughs) yes. But you guys both did get to go. Yeah. 
Yeah, no. we uh, we got to head we headed down there Thursday. Um, got there Friday pretty early, so it was nice. We had a day where we could go and uh, we checked out the Smithsonian Natural History Museum. Excellent. And uh, the I got art a picture with there. Lucy because this. It, oh, really? Yes. Yes. This was in Lo- in Washington D.C. Happy Hominid. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And um, yeah, so then uh, the next day we uh, we show up there and and wow it. So many more people than than I was thinking. Like it, it kind mm-hmm. of. I think it kind of blew everyone away. We were really nervous because uh, the it was it was the forecast was saying it was going to rain all right. day. Yeah. It was even looking like there were some nasty storms coming in, and so we thought, oh gosh. And we know, got a fair share. You, you didn't think clearly this is God's judgment on atheists. <laughs> well, we knew everybody was going to say that. Well, yeah. Right. Um, but yeah, actually, it was it was awesome. There were uh, a very warm atmosphere. I mean, this is if you've ever been to conventions. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know the the kind of uh, the jovial spirit that comes with when atheists congregate together. I know I just use the word spirit, <laughs> but I, I think you know one of the things we've tried to make a point of on this show over and over again, and using real psych data to back this up, mm-hmm. is that community is important. Absolutely. That the uh, the old notion of oh well, I don't want to be affiliated with any kind of group or organization. I'm I'm a free thinker. I do my own thing. Uh, really ignore, ignores that that human aspect of community and how how important it is to us. And you see that at these conferences, you see this at the rally. People are just excited to be with other like-minded people. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it was it was a real fun time. And, and there's quite a lineup of speakers, right? Uh, yep. One of my personal favorite people in the world, Adam Savage, was there yes. from the MythBusters. He was, he was, my, was favorite. my favorite. Was Absolutely it really? Favorite. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Um, it's so, so great, and I love that he is uh, well. You know, he's already an advocate for science and critical thinking with MythBusters. Right. But he's in the last couple of years, he's become very outspoken um, as an atheist, as a, a skeptic in general about um, all sorts of things. So I wish I could have seen him. But there. in a way that makes you impossible to impossible to be mad at the guy. I mean, yeah, that's true. Such, uh, <laughs> yeah, like, uh, he he was his. The two favorites, mine, were, were, were him and uh, Eddie Izzard. Yeah. That Eddie, was, uh, Eddie Izzard was there? Yes. I didn't even know that. That oh, was actually on. scratching one off the bucket list for <laughs> oh me, getting to see Eddie Izzard live. That's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. He, he did his whole, uh, oh, and Charlie Darwin, Char- sorry, Charlie Darwin with his book, Monkey, 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 You. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. Uh, yeah. So who else spoke? There was no, there was no bands, uh, right? This wasn't... Yeah, there was. Oh, bad, oh, there was. Bad Religion was there, oh, and nice. uh, Tim Mention played, and of Tim, course. Tim Mention's incredible, absolutely yeah. incredible, and uh, yeah, a, a ton of speakers. Yeah. I mean, it's just hard to... Recall yeah, I mean, all. you have you know the usuals you're, you're, you would expect: Richard Dawkins, P.Z. Myers, mm-hmm. um, and then you had, of course, uh, Alquist there. Jessica Alquist, Jessica Alquist. Yes. Yes. yes, yeah, definitely. Who, who um, uh, got a giant scholarship from right. uh, from Hemet donors? Meta of, yeah. Yep, uh, friendly atheist Hemet Meta set up a scholarship fund. We've talked yeah. about that before on the show, but she's um, pretty fantastic. Did you get a chance to talk to Jessica Alquist at all? I, I did at no. a conference in Orlando. The one a couple, couple of weeks ago, before but, that. Um, yeah, but yeah, I mean, everybody was just incredibly impressed. I mean, I think I think. Jessica's being held up as kind of a model to young skeptics. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, uh, you know, remember what we were like when we were 16 years old and mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> uh, how nice it would have been to be that 
into activism and, uh, yeah. and actually fighting for a cause. There seemed to be a, a pretty thick thread of, of uh, an emphasis on, on student leadership on this. Yeah, good, this good, because so. that's really where well, the focus needs to be. It was a, it was a young be. crowd. It was a yeah. noticeably young crowd. The stereotype of the atheist secular free thought movement is that uh, this is an older thing. This is the retiring gray haired professor, mostly men, yeah. and uh, and here we saw you know pretty pretty even gender split uh, mm-hmm. and uh, a lot of young people. Yeah. But to me, the fun, the most fun stuff was happening on the sidelines. Right. Um, right. There were a lot of uh, Christian missionaries. Yes. Uh, street corner it, including preachers. Westboro and, Baptist Church was there. Yes, right. Yes. Westboro Baptist. And uh, I got to hang out with one of the Westboro Baptist guys. <laughs> By hang out, do you mean? I mean legitimately hang out. I, really? I, I walked up there and, <laughs> you know, everybody from Westboro Baptist was split off into, like, isolated areas and they were all surrounded by atheists. You know, mm-hmm. these guys were definitely. And I found the one guy who wasn't talking to anybody. And instead of debating, I just at that point I felt like eh, I just want to have a human conversation because it was it was such a like you said <laughs> yeah. it was such a positive vibe there. Yeah, I just and, didn't yeah. feel like getting into a Bible bashing argument, right? right? We can do that anytime. So I asked him, "How are you being treated?" And he said, "He said, you know, people have been actually pretty nice." And I said, good. You, "You look like you don't want to be here." And he said, well, "I'm not so good at arguing these things." And yeah. we yeah, just they... had a friendly conversation about uh, how to be, how to be in these situations. Really? Yeah. And uh, and yeah, so that, it was a great time. It, it's it's nice to experience um, those people as people. Right. Because well, and I'm hoping if he experiences us as people as well, he'll exactly, stop, he'll exactly stop going right. around with these. these I mean, it, it's a bit foolhardy of Westboro to go to um, uh, an event like that because it's one thing when they show up at funerals and they're bothering people who are in mourning. They're they're but here they're going right. to a group of people where who, everyone's feeling very festive and <laughs> and they and, and, and this to, is the number one topic that they're gathered to talk about. Right, so they're yeah. talking about church and state. They're talking about the the problems of religion and all of that. So for Westboro to show up, there's some guts there. Right, right. Um, now, we do have a call here, our first caller. By the way, you can join in the conversation at 616-656-1680. And um, let's bring in Joe. Joe, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Hey, I want to tell you guys, I really enjoy your programs. I really look forward to it, especially live. It just makes it more fun. Well, and it's fun to to be able to interact with you. What did you want to talk to us about today, Joe? Okay. On PBS television uh, last week or so, they had another replay of Joseph Campbell and his Power of Myth. Yes. Hmm. Even though myself, I seriously doubt an afterlife for God, I'm uh, confused about what Joseph Campbell sometimes is saying. I've heard him described as spiritual but not religious and I was never clear if he believed in an afterlife or if he believed in any kind of deity and I would sure appreciate uh, you guys take on uh, Joseph Campbell unfortunately that takes some research uh, and uh, and I don't I don't know much about Joseph Campbell off the top of my head other than he's just generally well-respected, especially in the more liberal religious community. Well, and, and amongst mythographers, he's he's the guy. Mm-hmm. You know, he is the guy you go to for studies on mythology. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I, I mean, I couldn't speak to his personal beliefs. The feeling I get from his writing and from his, you know, the, the television programs and so forth is um, – 
perhaps an openness to a possibility of things, but very agnostic as to what the nature of any afterlife or any deities might be like. I, I, I don't see him as someone who had a real firm, this is what God is, this is what the afterlife is like. That's not the way he reads to me. But But maybe he was just good at his job. And didn't um, infuse his own personal beliefs in, yeah. in a lot well, you of could, you his teachings. You could definitely turn to these these world mythologies and world religions, and you can see this as an attempt for human beings to try to understand their world, to Absolutely. understand their place in it, and how they should behave in the light of those things. And when you look at it that way, uh, not as a list of dogmas or absolute truth, mm-hmm. you can learn a lot, and you can also dispense with all this garbage that's unnecessary, that's brutal, or, or whatever, and... Uh, I think uh, – I've seen a bit of that spirit in, in what I've read of Campbell, the mm-hmm. idea that we can be a student of all religions, of all mythologies, even if we're an adherent to none. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I hope that partly answers your question, Joe, and it's certainly something we can um, talk about again because, like you said, Jeremy, it is going to involve a little bit of research to, to dig into, but it's an excellent question. Yeah, well, he's uh, fun to listen to, and so are you folks, so uh, keep up good work. Well, thank you so much. Thanks, Joe. Thanks for calling, Joe. Okay, bye. All right, now, um, getting back to the Reason Rally, I've been fascinated to see the response um, that a lot of the the larger media has had. Mm Mm-hmm which is a lot of it's been very critical. Like, look at these atheists um, being nasty about Christians, um, and boy, don't they hate religion. Um, they're angry, all of that. Is or, that or what they're framing the debate as calling themselves reasonable. And, and right, exactly. Right. Atheists don't own reason was uh, one yeah. headline I saw. Yeah. It, was that – do you think that was um, one of the underlying message – messages of reason rally this this conflict well, there was definitely a challenge of superstition and everything else i thought um right I, I don't know if um i don't know if naming it that way was saying that you know we have the monopoly on on reason mm-hmm. um i think it's more of a you know that general kind of thing that we one of those things that we value you know right uh, whether or not we all are are consistent with that it's it is that thing that we all generally tend to value um and I've had people, you know, nitpick that and be like, well, you shouldn't name it that if, if you don't think that you're the only yeah. ones. Well, like, you know, with large movements like that, uh, you pick those general things to <laughs> yeah. name it. You need, this is you why need the pro-life movement yeah. calls themselves pro-life movement. We are going to frame the movement. debate in exactly. one way. And, and, you know, I like to point out it's, it's the primacy of reason. It's not exactly. just the use of reason. It's right. the, our group is saying reason and reason that needs alone. to be above right <laughs> yeah. reason and evidence we're we're not saying uh, and sure of course christians religious believers make try to make rational arguments for their beliefs but the core source of their belief is revelation and and faith and uh pl- and then they just add reason kind of on top right uh, and I, our group is saying no no we this is in the free thought tradition, right. we turn to reason, not dogma, not tradition, as the basis for truth. Absolutely. Well, on that note, we're going to take a break. Um, Alan is on the line. You'll be up next, Alan. He's talking about one of my favorite um, uh, pet peeves to discuss. So, Alan, we'll be getting to you in just a minute. Hold on, and we will be back with more live reasonable doubts. 616-656-1680 is the number. Got the 
things all people like you and embarrassment to creation. Self-righteous, judgmental, first to throw stone and use his name for your own protection. And we are back with the live Reasonable Doubts 100th episode celebration. And, uh, of course, I'm Dave Fletcher. Joining me in the studio, Jeremy Bean Hello. and Justin Schieber. Hello. And we're going to go right to the phones now. We've got a couple of callers holding. Um, first is Alan. Alan, are you there? Alan? Alan? Yep. I'm sorry. Yep. There. Can you hear us now? Yep. All right, Alan, you wanted to talk about the History Channel. Yeah. Mm. Um, one day I was finding myself kind of ill, so I... Uh stayed home from classes, and I was watching the History Channel, which, I don't know, I haven't done in about a good, good five years. Mm-hmm. And I, as long as got it, I see just nothing but talking about aliens and all <laughs> yep. kinds of yeah. crazy things. Ugh. So I decided, well, I'll just watch it get a laugh. And within ten minutes, I just found myself screaming at the TV <laughs> of just all the bad science and That is why we physics. cannot... Sorry, that is why we cannot allow public broadcasting and places like NPR and PBS to become advertisement-based absolutely right. having their revenue because you're ex- er- absolutely right. The Learning Channel is the same thing. Yep. They used to have shows on archaeology and science Even Discovery and Channel has a lot of yeah. pseudoscience stuff. Yeah. I mean, they all have these ghost hunting shows. They have – I think Discovery has the Long Island Medium which is a who's a you know a medium in Long Island? It's uh it's a, it's a pretty easy premise to to get, I suppose. But was there a particular one, Alan, Alan that you uh, that you saw that you were wondering about? Um. Well, see, what, what I'm curious is what, what's your opinion on on having all this public media just promoting all this terrible science? Well, obviously, we think it's a it's a bad thing. I mean, it's it's the critical critical thinking is not something that can be expressed in a soundbite. Uh, and unfortunately, the way our media culture is going, um, we're looking for quicker, more rapid. We're looking for uh, you know um, what's marketable. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and people buy this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, the habits of a good thinking mind don't match with that. I think the best we can do is try to maybe. I don't know. Subvert the process uh, with right. You're, you're noticing like a huge. Uh, you, we're noticing the successfulness of, of bloggers. We're noticing mm-hmm. podcasts are on the rise, and and these kinds of media uh, are, I think, kind of filling the need in the intellectual diet of people who, who aren't who aren't <laughs> getting stimulated. They're getting junk food, intellectual junk food. So they turn to sources like this. And, and of course, Alan, the the best thing you can do is keep your radio tuned to WPRR. <laughs> um, uh, just a quick plug here. Um, all day Sunday, we have Skeptical Sundays. It's a whole day of ske- skeptical programming, including us, uh, Free Thought Radio, Skeptic's Guide to the Universe, which is on next, um, Point of Inquiry, all sorts of stuff. So it's out there. You just have to find it in the right places. But thank you so much for your call, oh, Alan. I've can I just ask one more thing? Sure. What do you think is the reason for this big uptake in aliens and pseudoscience on the mainstream media? You know, it, it 2012. Kind of, yeah, well, probably. <laughs> yeah, probably. It's a pendulum swing. You yeah. Know, sometimes this stuff is popular. It, it, it waxes and wanes. Well, thanks for your call, Alan. We've got another call in now um, from Fergus. Fergus is calling from the UK. Whoa. Hey, Fergus. Hello, everybody. How are you, colonials? <laughs> Doing well. <laughs> what time is it over there? It's uh, 20 past five. Oh, well, hmm. that's not too bad. That's not, <laughs> not too bad. bad. I do have uh, some 
chores to do, like cooking for children, but uh, hopefully they won't disturb me. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I know how that goes. So, now, you wanted to talk to us about uh, religion in the UK. Well, sort of, more the opposite, really. Ha- oh. Lack of religion well, in the yes. UK. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, as you will all know, that uh, we do have a state religion, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, it's pretty much ignored. And uh, listening to shows like Reasonable Doubts and the many other podcasts I listen to from... Uh, from the United States, you know, it seems to me completely crazy what you have to go through. Um, <laughs> well, you're right about that, yes. It is completely I mean, we crazy. We do have a state religion, and for example, I live in a very small village in the middle of nowhere. There's only one school that my children could possibly go to in any practical sense. Mm-hmm. It's a Church of England school. Um, you know, it's supported by the state, it's supported by the church. And, uh, you know, half the teachers there are atheists, I'm pretty sure. Hmm. The other half actually Catholic. I mean, no one really cares about it. I mean, there is a, there's occasionally a few, you know, upbursts about abortion and you know, gay rights and, you know, civil partnerships and marriages and all that. But it's, you know, no one really takes it very seriously at all. So my question is really, you know, um, why, is, why do you think America, the nominally... Um, well, not nominally, an explicitly secular constitution. Right. Why is religiosity so such a big problem there, a big issue there, sorry? I, I yeah. think part of it has to do with the fact that we do have an explicitly secular mm-hmm. constitution as opposed to you who in the U.K. who have a state religion. It's easier to ignore that way. But when it's a, yeah. a secular, it forces the religious groups to really dig in their heels and, and fight for their spots. That, that was one of the dominant kind of sociological explanations for a while is that this was a kind of a market – A competition kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, it's competition. It's going to drive – uh, for for adherence for members was going to as yes as Justin says it was going to drive change. We've added to that. Listen to what was it? God in Society was one of our episodes where we talked to uh, someone from Great Britain. Uh, mm-hmm. I forget his name now, but uh, the the data is now looking like there's also an economic reason too. It's the okay. great disparities of wealth within our nation make people feel less secure which in turn makes them turn to religion more often. Right, right. To put it in a nutshell. Well, uh, thanks for calling, Fergus. I appreciate that. And by the way, greatest name ever. Um, I, I, I love that. If I if I had a son, Fergus would definitely be on the short list of names for him. So um, thanks for calling. And we've got to move on to another caller. Um, this is Chris. Chris is calling from Massachusetts. Yes, I am. Well, um, welcome from uh, from Massachusetts. And you wanted to talk about utilitarian utilitarianism ethics? Mm. Yeah, so several times on the show, and, and, and not just your show, which, by the way, is great. I, I'm a long-time listener and listen to all of them. I and first-time caller. Yes, first-time caller. <laughs> By necessity. Um, yes. Exactly. Um, Utilitarianism has been offered up as, of course, a natural answer to those who would say, oh, you can only be good if you're a believer. Mm-hmm. And fair enough. But why, both, both for you, and it seems to be true in general in the atheist community, that utilitarianism is the only alternative offered. There's a, a wide variety of other moral accounts. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um I think I don't know. I, I feel like there's a fairly decent um, diversity. 
with um, I think there is amongst scholars there's a big diversity but when it comes to the the, the lay atheist that that may be true um, it, utilitarianism I, I think he's right does seem to it be just kind seems like of the practical the, yeah, yeah. It, it's the easy one well well it, it it really works with our scientific worldview because in a right. utilitarian framework you can start to boil down moral propositions to things that are more like factual propositions right. like happiness can be measured. I also like it because it's an ethics of compromise. It, it doesn't uh, – you don't reach these ideal conclusions in utilitarianism. You, you reach mm-hmm. balances. So right. it's, it's, it, well, I'm not entirely sure you don't reach ideal conclusions, but as to its compatibility with science, mm-hmm. isn't that, doesn't that cut both ways? Doesn't that open up? atheists do something like a naturalistic fallacy where hmm. the believers are open to object well yeah. you know, you're just deflating the normativity of ethics you know there's something about what you ought to do from just the bare scientific facts yeah yeah that's why you always have to be i agree it can that's my that's what i'm uncomfortable about with uh utilitarian ethics mm-hmm. is that uh, you have to make absolutely clear unless you want to like you said, engage in a naturalistic fallacy, you have to make absolutely clear that you are postulating that proposition, um, whatever your measure of utility is, if it's happiness, welfare, or preference satisfaction, you have to you have to say, look, that's a postulate, that preference satisfaction is good or that happiness right. is good. That is our kind of moral axiom that we're starting with, and, and that just has to be accepted. Uh, and, yeah, some people would be very uncomfortable doing that. I, I personally am not uh, uncomfortable doing that, but uh, but some would. Well, uh, thank you very much for your call, Chris. And our, our phone board is just lighting up, so unfortunately we have to keep moving on. And we have um, with us now, we have uh, Melissa. Melissa from Mississippi. <laughs> I assume you might know me as Melissa Sippy. Melissa. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> Hello, Melissa Sippy. Hello. Um, hey, guys, I just wanted to comment on a couple things. Um, first of all, I've been deconverted for about three years now. Congratulations. Reasonable Doubt had a huge influence on that process. I guess the end of that process, I was very hesitant to make any sort of definitive decision about whether or not I believed in God, even though I knew I didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, and you guys made me feel a lot more comfortable about doing that and that I wasn't alone. Um, awesome. I grew up in a Methodist church. We went to a Baptist church, and then my parents started going to an Assembly of God church. Mm. And now they're heavily involved in Word of Faith. Um, which you guys talked about um, on Reasonable Doubt episode number 94, the gospel of positive thinking. You remember mm. this better than we do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I listened to that one over and over because it, I related to it so much because that, my parents, that is them. They, right. uh, anything that they want, they claim it. And they stand on the word of God and they, they claim it and it's theirs. Um, and when they get it, you know, they praise God for it. And when they don't get it, it it's just kind of like it never happened, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, I wanted to um, read something to you guys, if that's okay, briefly. Um, as long as it's this, short. Yep. It's very, it's very short, and it's kind of hilarious. Um, oh, good. This book I found <laughs> in my mom's room by Kennedy Kagan, which is one of the guys who does the prosperity gospel stuff. Um, and it's, it's called How God Taught Me About Prosperity. 
And there's this one part where he talks about how his family, they were trying to witness and be ministers or whatever, and they were so poor, and he was asking God why and everything, and God was like, well, you don't have enough faith. You're not asking me for things. So, um, let's see. Let me find a page real quick. God said, um, um, where'd it go? Where'd it go? Uh, let's see here. Sorry. Oh, he said... Um, the Lord said, and Kenneth Hagen is saying the Lord is saying this to him, like, you know, they're not finding a lot of these things in scriptures. It is God actually telling them this and mm-hmm. then teaching their, conversa- their congregation this. The Lord said, now the world can build a dance hall, a honky-tonk, a beer joint, or, or a theater, put neon lights all over the front of it and dress it up nicely. But if you want to dress up the church, people say, oh, no, I expect my people to have the best place in town to meet. And then Kenneth Hagen qualifies it with, the Lord actually said that to me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, awesome. That's basically all you need to know about how they feel about um, that sort of thing. Like, um, they they say that they go based on Scripture, but it's pretty much God telling them um, what to do and then taking it and running with it. Yeah, well, thank you for that, Melissa, and and, um, thanks for calling in. It's great to hear from people who um, have recently deconverted. And when people ask us why we do this, that's exactly why. It's um, it's for people like you. So thanks for your call. It would have been a lot more lonely without you guys. Well, we're we're glad we could could help you out there. And um, thanks for calling. We're going to take a break now. When we come back, we're going to get into some Skeptic Sunday School. So stay tuned for that. You aren't going to want to miss this one. is real from the Big Bang to DNA. Science is real from ever- And welcome back to Reasonable Doubt's 100th episode live spectacular. I'm Dave Fletcher. Joining me in the studio as per usual, Mr. Jeremy Bean. Hello. Hey, and thanks for using the They Might Be Giants music. That's hey, awesome. How could I not? <laughs> I love How that. could I not? Um, and, of course, teen pop sensation Justin Schieber is here as well. Hello. Um, now, um, we do have another call on the line, so, Jem, hold on. We will get to you in just a bit. But first, we're going to do some Skeptic Sunday School. Cause yeah. We have a quick Skeptic Sunday School here. Uh, I'm going to present the case here that Jesus cannot possibly be the Messiah. <laughs> according to internal evidence from the Bible. I'm excited because this was an old argument that I used to use, mm. and I had to shelve it because I came up, I came across an apologist who had a really good response. So I added this to my... Jesus is the Messiah. Yeah. Well, was that it? Was that <laughs> it? We'll get to it in a second. No? Oh, okay. But uh, this used to be one of my arguments atheists shouldn't use, but just the other night I read some more stuff and resurrected it, and I think it works now. So let's give it a shot. The argument is that... Um, Jesus, to be the Messiah, has to be a king in the lineage of David, right? King David. Mm -hmm. But if you look at uh, Matthew verse 1, uh, I'm sorry, chapter 1, verse 11, we find out 
that Jeconiah is one of the members in in Jesus' genealogy. Mm -hmm. And Jeconiah and all of his descendants have been excluded from the throne of David. You can read it in Jeremiah chapter 22, verse 30. It says, Thus says the Lord of Jeconiah, Write this man down childless, a man who will not prosper in his days, for no man of his descendants will prosper sitting on the throne of David or ruling again in Judah. What did he do to deserve that? Uh, he was a jerk. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> he was, he was one enough. of these evil kings of, of, of Judah. Yes. And uh, yes, all of des- his descendants were disqualified from that. Now, uh, now, this means Jesus can't possibly hold that office of Messiah. Now, apologists have known about this for years. Calvin wrote about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Josh McDowell uh, and other famous apologists write about it. They usually try to argue that uh, Jesus is a physical descendant from Mary, not from Joseph. So therefore, this doesn't apply to him. Right. Uh, but which, the, which is obvious from yeah. from the story, too. Joseph isn't his biological father. So right. Right. it, it right. seems weird to trace it that but way. But the anyway. problem is that the genealogies do trace it through Joseph's line. Yeah, exactly. And they do argue that he has to, uh, they say, that this is why Jesus is a legitimate heir to the throne. So if you actually take those scriptures at face value, that argument can't work. A, a better counter-argument they had, and this was the one that I had to give into at one point, was to say that uh, um, this curse was only temporary. Uh, that if we actually look later on in the list, there's a king, Zerubbabel. Um, Which is a great yeah, name. I know. Zerubbabel? Zerubbabel. He's a... The emergent church. He's yeah. the grand. He's the grandson of Jeconiah, right. uh, and yet he is. Uh, we have this verse in Haggai uh, two twenty three. It says, "On that day, declares the Lord of hosts, I will take you, Zerubbabel, uh, as my servant, uh, for I have chosen you." Declares the Lord of hosts. Now that seems pretty obvious. That well, God seems to be using somebody else from this this line. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, and that's why I had to say, well, okay, that verse looks pretty clear. Uh, I can't use this argument anymore. Mm. Well, I looked into it more. Zerubbabel was never actually made king. He was only a governor. This is when uh, when Israel was a vassal state of, of Persia. Right. Mm. And Cyrus of Persia ordered uh, Zerubbabel to be the regional governor. Um, but when it comes to the coronation ceremony, it's very interesting. They don't make Zerubbabel king. They uh, – in Zechariah, you can read it for yourself in Zechariah chapter 6 – Verse 12 through 13, uh, the Lord of hosts says, here is the man, and he's talking of the high priest Joshua. Here is the man whose name is the branch. Uh, it is he that shall build the temple of the Lord, and he will sit and rule on the throne, and, she, and, uh, and there shall be a priest by him. Uh, and a peaceful understanding between the two of them. It turns out Zerubbabel's never made king, and you've got to wonder why. Because it's completely unprecedented in Israel's history that a high priest was given the office of king. The only reason I can think of is because the guy who was actually commissioned by Cyrus to be the governor couldn't be the king right. because of this curse. So if all that holds up, Jesus is disqualified by the Bible's own internal criteria from being the Messiah. Well. Kind of sucks, huh? Yeah. <laughs> Ouch. Um Impressive. That's our that's our um, little skeptic Sunday school, but it packs a wall up. Yeah, um, well, it's, it's a good one, and I'm sure we'll find objections to that, and we'll 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 deal. 
I can expand this argument quite a bit in the future for anyone who's, who's you, interested in to it. To be fair, you can expand pretty much any argument. Oh, I'm very good at expanding <laughs> things. Um, now, um, hopefully, we still have on the line Jem. Uh, Jem, are you there? I am indeed. Thanks All for right. being patient with us. Yes. And oh, my pleasure. Now, what was it that uh, you wanted to talk to us about today? So I'm afraid that this is the dreaded uh, strategy or framing question. Yay. I apologize in mm. advance. Uh, so I have a feeling that I uh, know where you uh, gentlemen stand on this, but I'd like to hear you talk about the uh, frequently proposed wall of separation between scientific skepticism and atheism. Mm. Like, well, well, I'm happy to self-identify as an atheist, uh, and it seems to me that the God hypothesis is fair game for skepticism, it does sometimes feel like soft peddling the atheism side of things can be a useful strategy. What do you guys think? Hmm. I've been taking all these, so either of you guys <laughs> want to jump in or, or I will say something. You go ahead here. Um, I'm trying to read up on the the uh, electronic posts we're getting, so oh, okay. I'm sorry. Uh, I, you know, I personally can't see any reason why um, – if the idea is that skepticism covers one area and that is empirical claims and religion covers another area, which is philosophical claims, I don't see there being a strict separation between the two. I see a pretty fluid continuity. And in fact, mm -hmm. our show is a great uh, example of that because uh, we bring in empirical evidence to, to decide on things all the time. Uh, uh, I do understand – I think this is more of a PR move. Mm -hmm. That is, we can, yes. have a, we can have a broader umbrella – there's a lot of people who are skeptical of Bigfoot and New Age and all this stuff who are nevertheless religious. And we could have a much broader umbrella if we accommodate and allow those people uh, to write for our magazines, say our podcasts and everything else. Right. Uh, but, but I don't think there's a real difference in principle between the two. Uh, sure. What, what do you think? Yeah, what, well, what's your take on this? Well, this is a this is a topic that we struggle with ourselves at the Winnipeg Skeptics. Mm -hmm. um, while almost all of us are atheists, in certain circumstances, it does seem reasonable to sort of soft pedal the atheism. You know, we don't have a, a, a policy or a, or a position on any uh, on any uh, truth claim. Mm -hmm. We you know we try to focus on the on the method. However, our the podcast that we do, we do with a humanist group as well mm -hmm. um, in Manitoba. And so on the podcast, we talk both about uh, sort of scientific skeptical issues, but also about uh, religious issues. And I, I guess we sort of get a free pass there because we're partnered with the humanist. Mm. Um, right. I, I agree that it is more of a PR thing, but I, but I can't help but think it is sort of a useful PR move. To yeah. distance yeah. ourselves a little bit sometimes. Well, right. and the I agree yeah. with that. Yeah, the most important thing is critical thinking skills, anyways. Sure. And, uh, and yeah. we can sort of hook people in that way. Maybe. Yeah, exactly. Once you once you know how to think critically, atheism is at, at least in my opinion the natural conclusion that you have to come to when you yeah. when you look at uh, the yeah. universe. It's just a matter of uh, of consistency after that. Right. Right. Uh, thank you uh, very much for your call. If, if I may, uh, just. For one moment, register a complaint. <laughs> Go for uh, it. Oh, good. That is, uh, I'm I'm very upset at you, gentlemen, for turning me into a vegetarian. About <laughs> years ago. I've I, gotten that before. I apologize. It must be hard in Canada to be a vegetarian too. <laughs> or, 
Albertan beef is is you know, is, right. is right nearby. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I, we're very sorry for that, but um, um, hey, you can't pack all those calories on either to get warm in the winter. So. Oh, sure you can. I, I just, you there can, are very just... few desserts that have meat in them, oh, which is the philosophy I live by. I was going to say you'll uh, have to find a cute vegetarian to cuddle up with. <laughs> well, that works too. Uh, thanks for your call, Jim. My pleasure. Thanks, Ed. All right, we've got a uh, uh, Question in studio, actually, a couple of questions from our in-studio guests. Here's a, here's one from Eric. He says, various religions and cultural systems have their own dating systems. Uh, Christianity, where 2012, uh, the Jewish calendar is 5,000-something, the Chinese calendar, the Mayan calendar, they all have different calendars. What might be year zero for skeptics and scientists? <laughs> He suggests the Greeks, Newton, Darwin, Watson, and Crick. What do you guys oh, think? What's year zero for us? Hmm. I would say Democritus. Democritus? Or, Who is the, the first one to be vocal about doubting, right? An atomist, yeah. 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 I, I mean, I'm, there's probably people previous to him, but I can't uh, – that's the earliest I could get, right? Democritus? Uh, yeah, I don't know. I would just – I, I'm I'm partial to uh, uh, Darwin, I suppose. Yeah, I, I, I'm oh, not okay. uh, just because. I mean, it's such a philosophical uh, huge change. Right. You know? I mean, once the design argument fell away, I mean, it's it was dead before that, of course. But right. that was kind of a, a nail in the coffin that really kind of ushered in a new era. So 1859 is year is year zero. zero. <laughs> so I was going to say. So we're really low right. dates right now, which yeah. is nice because young because we've got a long time before the Y2K problem is going to crop up again. Oh yeah. Um, I would suggest maybe, and this would make calendars a headache. Let's start with the Big Bang. <laughs> and until we figure out exactly when that was, we're going to have to estimate our dates. Yeah, that like would, it's that would, um, per, that would be perfect for the naturalistic. Exactly, uh, it's roughly six billion January first well, ish. You know, if we could trace it back to the star that died for us, you know, we could always. Oh yeah, yeah good yeah. point. Yeah. Good point. There. Or the the day the first um, living being crawled out of the ooze here on Earth. Yeah. You know, well, let's let's just be. Um, uh, Earth-centric once if it's, again. If it's atheism we care about, then uh, System of Nature in 1770 was uh, Baron de Holbach's. Uh, that was his the very first book that was arguing comprehensively for atheism. Right. Mm. Right. Uh, there's any any number of dates. Yeah. Where would we pilgrimage to? <laughs> um, the Galapagos? Yes. yes. The Galapagos? Yes. That, that, would be a, that would be a good one. Yeah. Um, we have another in-studio question as well. Uh, Chris, uh, Justin, did you have a, a response to Chris's question? Oh, I wasn't able to uh, oh. read it. I was. All right. Well, let me read it <laughs> to you because it's a good one. And this is, I, I think, right up your alley. Um, it seems to me, Chris writes, that um, the apologists have had uh, had to keep up with more subtle arguments for the existence of God. This is as compared to centuries ago when very little argument for the existence was required. Nowadays, apologists have to really work at persuasiveness of their side's argument like apologists keep having to refine their argument in the face of the arguments against their position. Mm-hmm. Do, you, do you see that as being the case? Those of you, you two do a lot more arguing with apologists. Yeah, than- I would say the, the, uh, the degree of ad hocness has increased significantly. <laughs> right, right. Um, I mean, when we, when we uh, I don't know, I mean, when we talk about uh, whether or not, I mean, stuff like planning is free will defense. A lot of this is going to be stuff that they're not necessarily arguing for God. They're arguing for the coherency of God now. 
Right, um, right. And, and, and William right. and Craig, they've and got all to, those guys, yes. They've got to keep a coherent idea before they can... I mean, that, that's, a, that's, of course, necessary before you can argue for a god, is to have a coherent concept of god. Right, right. And so a lot of the time, they're left just defending that. Um, right. Because there's a lot of really good objections to that. So, Which is why perhaps we get um, a, a good argument for setting year zero at Darwin, because that's when it became much more difficult to mm. um, make a, a simple argument for God. Right. Because design was was kind of the right. default notion. It kind of knocked out the last, the last intuitively compelling argument, it, you know. Exactly, exactly. Um, now, uh, to, to move on, today, by the way, is National Atheist Day. Okay. Why is that? Um, well, because it's also April Fool's Day. And, of course, the fool says in a, his heart. Is that a self-parody? Yeah, that's a self-parody oh, yes. thing. Um, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. Get it? God. So it's April Fool's Day. So um, I thought as a April Fool's tie-in, um, I'd present some of the – some of the um, uh, top ten stories about trickster gods. Um, so I've got a few here. And in fact, um, because he's my favorite, Loki gets a couple of them. Um, in no particular order here. Uh, number ten, Tanukis are malicious tricksters in Japanese mythology who are always depicted with gigantic testicles. <laughs> so that's something to take home with you. Do you know where the Tanuki ball is at? <laughs> Tanukis don't have balls. By the way, that's not what I've seen. <laughs> Mario fans, you know the suit that Mario puts on with the raccoon tail? Oh, yes. That's a Tanuki suit. Oh, nice. So Mario is probably covering his um, giant Tanuki giant plumber gonad somewhere. It still doesn't explain how raccoon is connected to flying in any well, it's way. Well, it's because it, a Tanuki is not a raccoon, but it's similar to it. Um, okay, and they can fly? No, 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 they cannot. Okay. Um, That's okay. As far as I know. It's just a great way to skip the first level because you go all the way to the yeah, top. Exactly, and... <laughs> right? You get, you get your warp whistle. You yeah. Hit um, uh, number nine, humans are unable to rise from the dead thanks to the African trickster god, Hare. Hair. Yep. Give me a god with hair. <laughs> hair is in a, a, a rabbit. Um, number eight. I was eight. picturing Fabio for <laughs> um, The trickster god Eshu caused a civil war by wearing a two-toned hat. That's impressive. It right was out there. of season, I, I imagine. No, one side, one side was black and one side was white. They couldn't decide if it was after Labor Day or before Labor Day. <laughs> no, he wore a, a, a hat that was one side black and one side white and walked along the fence between property of two tribes. Oh, so nice. that one tribe said, hey, that guy's wearing a white hat. And the other side said, no, he's wearing a black hat. And they got into a civil war about it. Didn't, if they just watched Star Trek, they would know not to get into it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if only, if only. Uh, number seven, by tricking his way into ownership of all the world's stories, the tri- or I'm sorry, before tricking his way into ownership of all the world's stories, the trickster god Anansi helped create the world. So we have in African mythology a trickster who's also the creator of the world. Hmm. Uh, number six, the trickster god Maui was so ugly at birth that his mother thought he was dead and tossed him into the sea. That's a that's a now joke. he's an island resort. <laughs> and now he's, exactly now he's he's lovely. Um, number five, thanks or no thanks to the trickster god Coyote for pubic hair. 
Okay. Next. There's, there's a myth for that one. <laughs> yeah, no, no there comment. are myths for everything, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> um, number four, the trickster god Intome is responsible for humans' living above ground rather than the paradise below ground. What about Marissa Tomei? Yeah, um, Marissa Tomei is also responsible for humans living in a broken world. Mm. <laughs> she won an Oscar for that. Um, number three. The trickster god Loki is the mother of an eight-legged horse. Well. Oh, horse. Horse. Okay. Horse. <laughs> I thought we were talking circus As in here. Nay, Winnie, that uh, sort of thing. Uh-huh. Eats oats. Yes. Yes, that's the one. Amazing oats. Um, two, Loki is a world-class competitive eater. I don't think enough people know that. Loki is a... <laughs> he started that. Trend, he's a huh? speed eater. Yes. The, uh, what, what were the Norse... What were they speed eating? Um, they dipped the, the bun in water, slide down the gullet. <laughs> you know. uh, well, in, in actually, it comes from the prose Edda. There's a story where um, Loki competes in an eating contest with a, a trough full of food against someone who turns out to be fire. But some, uh, some skinny Japanese Yes. Well, it's fire in disguise. <laughs> yeah. um, so he loses because fire also eats the trough. And oh, more which is fire. That's like, um, um, what's the what's the competitive eater's name? I'm looking to my wife. Kobayashi. Kobayashi, yeah. yes. Who always or often wins the hot dog eating. And the number one trickster god story for this April Fool's Day... Loki once got smacked around by the god Heimdall while both were disguised as seals and fighting over a necklace. That's just so random. Uh-huh, mm-hmm. uh-huh, uh-huh. And that's that's April Fools for you. Um, uh, this is this is why we love mythology. Uh, any calls, or uh, can we do one of the worst arguments for God? I was just going to say, um, Jeremy, you have come up with now this for our special 100th episode, some of the worst arguments for God. These are arguments people actually use, correct? Yes, yes, yes. And I've, I've tried to select uh, – over the years, I've seen quite a few Whoppers out there, uh, and I've tried to narrow them down to like my absolute favorite. What are the – what are my best worst arguments right, for God? Right, right. Uh, so I will start us out with um, – the, what I call uh, the argumentum ad roboticus non fornicatus. It's the argument. I love it. It's the argument from the immorality of having sex with robots. Oh my goodness! This is from the website uh, Evidence for God from Science. The uh-huh. article is called "Why Sex with Robots Is Always Wrong: The Impending Demise of the Human Species." The article is by Rich Deem, uh, Christian apologist Rich Deem. Where he paints for us a dystopian future where uh, computer programmers and engineers have designed an FACA, which is a female anatomically correct android, <laughs> for, uh, wow. for, for sexual Wait, purposes. this is in Japan? It, well, it has to come from I, Japan. Yeah, of course. I, of course. <laughs> I think that's of course. kind of understood. Of course it's Japan. Uh, yes. And uh, – Yes, and obviously the uh, the article is a slippery slope argument from porn, uh, that pornography is going to eventually lead to the annihilation of the human race because after, of course, you're humping your uh, your FACA, uh, you're we're never going to have uh, repopulation of the species. Uh, it's, but that's it's the also, natural outcome yeah. of of other things you can have sex with. It'd be nice yeah. to hear like a robot voice go, "Oh God." <laughs> <laughs> There is nothing godly about that this. That is what I like. Oh. <laughs> but uh, uh, and yeah, at the end, uh, 
this actually, though, becomes a kind of moral argument in reverse. Uh, atheists might be frightened by this future of cyber devi- deviancy, but we simply Not don't have... the atheists have, I know. Yeah, we simply don't have the moral resources to condemn sex with robots. So, <laughs> argument, where does this come from, the, the, the Bible? I <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. Argumentum <laughs> ad roboticus non fornicatus. That, that, that is, in fact, in the Bible. It's in um, Skynet, chapter 1001000001100111001. Binary joke. Binary joke. Oh, we don't get to do nearly enough of those these days. It uh, actually, it's actually strikingly similar. I'll just add this into a Futurama episode. Yes. I don't know if you guys watched that With at Lucy Lubot? Yes, 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 yes. Where mm. the, the space pope actually yes. makes a... Uh, a, a, a a documentary kind of Robert P. George style yes. as to why I'm not going to do anything now that I can make out with my Marilyn Monroe robot. It's oh, <laughs> Marilyn Monroe. Futurama, awesome. Futurama is like skepticism oh, 101. I know. I know. That, that is so absolutely um, necessary. How about one more worst argument for the existence of God? Okay, I'll do one that's slightly less funny so we can save uh, <laughs> oh, a funny one for later. So we can end the hour on a dark note. <laughs> yeah, yeah, why not? Yeah, Get sure. people coming back. Um, all right, uh, the argument from the incomplete genocide of the Jewish race. This is the argument that says years of Christian anti-Semitism have failed to eradicate the Jewish race. Therefore, the Christian God is real. <laughs> Oh, uh, I think we can just that is leave my it. Favorite. At, <laughs> oh, I think we can just leave it at that. Who, do we have who, uh, uh, who was name on who the line? forwarded this? Uh, well, uh, Grant Jeffrey Ministries uh, prophecy online: uh, the miracle of the survival of the Jewish people wow. is the name of the article. Oh my goodness! And, yeah, let me just read this this paragraph real quick. Yeah. He says, centuries ago, an agnostic king of France, which I can't find any evidence for this, right. by the way. But it doesn't matter. They just like their stories. <laughs> Centuries ago, an agnostic king of France was discussing philosophy and religion with his court counselor. After numerous arguments were presented by the Christian advisor in favor of the position that God had revealed himself in the Holy Scriptures, the king finally demanded that his counselor prove to him that God existed in an argument only using two words. The counselor replied, the Jews. In those- <laughs> That's not an argument. The Jews. Yeah. There was something standing behind him. Yeah, and the king went, where? (laughs) Uh, uh, And uh, those two words, the counselor summed up one of the most miraculous demonstrations of God's supernatural intervention in human history. Wow. uh, That his own people did not eradicate his own people. No. Uh, The survival and prospering of the Jewish people during thousands of years of brutal persecution pogroms and the tragedy of six million Jews massacred in Hitler's Holocaust is a mysterious miracle unparalleled in history. Yeah, not to mention God almost did the job himself in Exodus. Yes, right. (laughs) Yeah, exactly right. Um, We do, I believe, have Ryan back on the phone. Ryan, can you hear me? Yes. Oh, good. We've got you. Yeah, sorry. My phone dropped the call. Oh, well, (laughs) so it goes. Glad you called back. Yeah, thank you. Uh, My question was about, uh, I had recently heard I listen to a Christian podcast from time to time, basically because I'm a masochist, but uh, because they do sometimes offer some interesting things I haven't heard before. Mm-hmm. And I heard about an argument um, <clears throat> from a book by John A.T. Robinson about why uh, the New Testament documents, pretty much all of them, had to be written before 70 A.D., because uh-huh. none of them actually mentioned the fall of the temple. Um and I just didn't, I'd never run across them before, and um, I wondered how you guys did a series on uh, the, the Gospels, but if there was more um, 
Well, they do mention the temple, though. That that would be the that would be my obvious uh, kind of response. Though I admit this is begging the question either way you look at it. Right. Um, but Jesus does say uh, this temple will be destroyed. Uh, but that's a prophecy, and look, it came true. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So. Uh, you know, again, it depends on your methodology. They could call right. it. They could say we're begging the question on that. Um, but, but I would, I would go further than that to say that I, I'm not all that concerned about um, these having late dates. And uh, a lot of uh, that's not a hill to die on. No, uh, you, you can you can turn to internal evidence of the Bible, uh, say like through redaction criticism, which really all that's important there are the dates of the different gospels relative to each other, right. not their absolute dating. Uh, and and you can still look from that to see as long as you know the relative dates, which which ones were written first, you can still see a kind of evolution of the Christ myth right. from uh, this the suffering servant to uh, co-equal with God. Uh, and, and that's that's the really important part for skeptics. Not saying, oh, this was this was uh, written so many decades after his death. How could it possibly have been right. uh, true to? Especially true to when the when you look account. at other um, other mythologies where they don't get written down for centuries yeah, after right. after the stories first appeared. Yeah, Christianity yeah. has an edge on other. Yeah, exactly. Christianity, yeah. other than Islam, which yeah. is uh, very quick, right? As far as the establishment of Islam, yeah. um, their documents were written. Christianity is is a lot quicker than the other one. So you're right. That's not that's not the stand we need to take in order to to prove its inaccuracy. But it is, um, you know, I mean, it, it certainly is an interesting point to mm-hmm. to bring up. Uh, yeah. Thanks for your call, Ryan. Yeah, thank you. Uh, I love you guys' show. I've been listening to it for a long time. Thanks. Cool. And keep thank holding down the fort there in Iowa for us. <laughs> Will do. Thanks. All right. And we are going to take another break. Um, we'll be back with more. Uh, our phone number, 616-656-1680. Give us a call um, with any of your questions and comments, 616-656-1680, and we'll be back with more Reasonable Doubts live 100th episode. To Reasonable Doubts, our live 100th episode. That's George Crabb with his musical interpretation of Christopher Hitchens' book, God is Not Great. Gotta love that one. Um, hilarious. Yeah, yeah. yeah. By the way, all of our uh, bumper music going out to the breaks today is provided by George Crabb from his um, um, uh, album Trebuchet. So um, thanks to George for giving us permission to do that. Um, but um, let's get into some counter-apologetics here. Um, and, Justin, we're dealing with um, a sticky subject here. Yeah, uh, biblical slavery. Um, As in people who are slaves to the Bible? 
Like Rick Santorum? Uh, yes. No. Yes. <laughs> this has been recently in the news for some reason, right? Yeah, because um, American Atheists <laughs> – It's kind of weird to have an event that's kind <laughs> of, uh, what, six to 7,000 years old recently in the news? Yeah, well – Turns out biblical slavery happened. <laughs> that's right. Um, in uh, Pennsylvania, the state of Pennsylvania declared it the year of the Bible. Okay. And American atheists, in response to this, put up a billboard um, with a biblical quote about slavery, mm-hmm. um, saying, you know, let's celebrate the year of the Bible. This okay. is in the Bible. Yeah, yeah. Okay. You want, you want to talk about year of the Bible? Here you go. Exactly. <laughs> and, and contained on the billboard, too, was a picture. It was a, a, an illustration of yeah. some old Civil War era. Um, a slave, slave wearing a, a large no. neck um, oh, brace okay. thing. And, and um, they took a lot of heat and, in fact, took the billboard down fairly quickly. It was vandalized first and, and so on. Um, but American Atheist has taken a lot of heat for um, – obviously their attempt was to say, look at all of the awful things that are in the Bible. Should right. we really be celebrating this book? Right. Right. But um, a lot of people took it to be a little bit – Actually, yeah. racist with the yeah. their uh, billboard, and I didn't not, understand the intent or uh, or that right. it was kind of a shock. In the and, and to be fair, I mean, American atheists they're not the most sensitive when they're putting their billboards <laughs> no, out. No. Yeah, um, you're, you're not absolutely right about that. Right. Um, I don't. Yeah, I guess I don't know how I feel about this. I mean, I think it is important to uh, let people know the people that are that call themselves Christians, the vast majority of Americans, but. That don't read their Bible and aren't aware of the, right. the things in it. And if, I mean, obviously, we think it's important. We've talked about it on the show before. Right. This is something. This is one of those nasty little secrets in the Bible that's not all that secret. Well, especially since they say we have no secular foundation for morality. Exactly. Uh, right. It's it's uh, of my opinion that atheists should always be taking the high ground against yeah. people who subscribe to these religious texts because they don't yeah. have the ability to condemn a lot of the most basic things mm-hmm. that today we would find immoral. By the way. Just as a side note, the cardboard cutout of Dr. Professor Luke Galen that is here in the studio just scared the crap out of me again. Luke is haunting. It is right in my peripheral vision, and every time I turn, there's someone standing there. Um, But anyway, back to slavery. We we should get it like a little sound box on it sniffling constantly, (laughs) so you know that it's there. Get him half a Benadryl. Everything's all right. (laughs) Inside jokes, people. Inside jokes. Now, um, (laughs) back to the slavery issue. Yeah. um, So uh, Chris Bolt, who we've interacted in in the past with our presuppositionalist episodes, um, uh, he's been having a conversation with with one of our listeners, Andrew, and they've been discussing whether or not a particular passage in Exodus condones the beating of slaves. Uh, the, the passage is uh, Exodus 21, verse 20 and 21. Um, it reads, When a man strikes his slave, male or female, with a rod, and the slave dies under his hand, he shall be avenged. But if the slave survives a day or two, he is not to be avenged, for the slave is his money. Mm-hmm. And uh, Chris, Chris points out that, like, look, there's no explicit condoning of beating slaves because both instances talk about what he thinks is a punishment. Right. One being uh, that the slave owner will be avenged for beating his slave, and then the other showing that. Yeah. Right. And yeah. then the other, he argues, the loss of the slave is the, is his punishment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is which is astonishing. But he's right. not alone on this. Um, that's that's I. I just want to pause to point out, like, what a hollow victory that is yeah. <laughs> for, right. for Bolt to say, oh, no, 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 look, he's being punished by uh, uh, by 
you know, the slave's life in this case, in the second case, right. is worth the market value of a slave's life, and that's what he's being, you know, hey, hey triumph for <laughs> capitalism morality. at work, yeah. Right. yeah. Um, but anyways, but uh, so he's not alone on this uh, this reading of the this passage here. The the Oxford Bible Commentary agrees with Chris here. Uh, it reads, in the case of slaves, the compensation for serious injury or unintended killing is that the owner loses loses his property. Right. Um, and uh, so, so the, essentially, the punishment for setting your car on fire is losing your car. Yes, would, would be the right. equivalent. Right, right. Yeah. I mean, you you can destroy your own property, um, and usually no one's going to think of that as a moral offense. But if your property is a human being and you destroy it, right, then uh, yeah. there should be there should be and, some. And that's red how flags. Bolt and others can say, well, so the Bible is still punishing the beating of this slave. Right, right. <laughs> yes. But on, on some other translations of that verse, actually, uh, it does say that he is not to be punished for the slave as his property. That's how it's translated, oh. which, if, which actually is the, is the majority of the most popular translations. Really? So that's a possible critique of that. Um, now, uh, another thing to bring up, though, is that uh, this, this kind of um, – this criticism here – uh, doesn't take into account other translations of the actual passage of the actual meaning of it here. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the the difference is between but if he survives a, two, a day or two and uh, but if the slave re- re- recovers after a day or two. Mm-hmm. So in this this other this new one, right? Uh, it's saying that look, if you beat a, if you beat a slave and he recovers after a day or two, then you're fine. Yeah. Which would be a condoning of beating as long right. as he doesn't yeah, die. Exactly. Yes. Um, and so killing is maybe not okay. Beating them is perfectly fine. Right. And so yeah. clearly this is no small difference. Mm-hmm. The second form is considerably worse, as it does condone the beating of slaves. And I I went on to claim, um, and I'm writing an, a comment on on Chris's blog here. I went on to claim that. You know, without some kind of infallible external standard or method for interpreting the text, there, there's really no authority that he has to pick one over the other. Mm-hmm. He's going to pick the one that is, is most self-serving, of course. Um, and more palatable. Right. <laughs> now, Chris's uh, main concern here, he replies back and he says, well, uh, he writes this very uh, large article saying that uh, I, I'm, it's really unfortunate that I misunderstand the nature of total depravity because what my claim is is that mm-hmm. being that we're all totally depraved, we invent these translation methods, but how do we know which one would get us to a perfect translation of that text? And if, if one did, how would we know which one it was? So even if we do have the ability to make a perfect translation, it doesn't appear that we would have some kind of standard to tell which one was to correct. Tell which it was, and yeah. we couldn't appeal to the original text because that's what's being – that's the problematic issue. That's what's ambiguous about the translation. So, so in a nutshell, Calvinists are um, – have some problematic issues yeah. when it comes to their interpretive – framework for the Bible, because how can they trust themselves? Right. These things, uh, our interpretive framework of the Bible, like our hermeneutics, mm-hmm. uh, we're going to be adopting that outside of the Bible itself, right? It's not like we can turn to the Bible uh, for how to interpret the Bible. And if we're all totally depraved, then how do we get that one right? Right. That, that's what I'm hearing. And so that's his, that's his problem with my objection. And, and the point is that I never claimed that it was impossible for anybody. Or he, he's saying that, you know, I'm, that I'm silly because I'm claiming that it's impossible for someone to pr- create a perfect translation when that's not what the argument I was making. I mm. was saying that if that was the case, there's no possible way you could really decide which one because you would need some kind of standard. And they don't right. have such a standard. Um, 
And so he, he kind of goes and he talks about how, you know, a lot of the uh, contributors to Choosing Hats uh, thought my they, – they weren't sure if my comment was a joke or if it was <laughs> – if I was being serious because I have such a terrible understanding of total depravity. Oh, well. And, which is unfortunate. Well, it's because you're depraved, right. to and be he, fair. He says how this, you know, this saddened him. And, and, and I, I got to say I'm saddened by the lack of reading comprehension over at Choosing Hats. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. That's. Uh, I mean, we we, we were kind of steering away from presuppositionalism on this episode, but that is because um, we've had enough. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. The, the, and this is kind of a side issue, but it's it's still uh, related. In, in we a, should acknowledge that uh, anybody who's coming, if we want to take a simplistic fundamentalist view of things, like oh, we're presupposing the Bible is true, it's it's true in all of its words. People don't realize how much historical context, how many selective interpretations. How many theories of history? So, for example, the fundamentalists who say, right, Genesis should be interpreted literally. Yeah. Um, the idea of interpreting history uh, literally as seven days means seven days and this is scientific fact. And the sun was created on the fourth day or yeah, the yeah. third day, whatever History it is. for years yeah. was done in a mythological context. It yeah. was done to uh, – it wasn't to give the who, why, where and no. – how of the situation. So there's all these these all these assumptions people bring to the texts that are outside of the texts themselves. Uh, and there's just no kind of recognition of that fact in a lot of these fundamentalists until, of course, they become better educated and they start realizing, <laughs> hey, look, we don't just take for granted what I learned in my pastor's church. And then they become godless heathens. Well, some of them Which do. is what brought us here today. Or, or, or loosey-goosey liberals. Yeah, right. Right. The, the nail in the coffin here is that those, those passages in Exodus, those are referring to Hebrew slaves. But yes. we know that there's a big distinction between Hebrew slaves and, and foreign slaves. Mm, yeah. um, foreign slaves... There's no actual uh, – there's, there's, there appears to be no regulations right. on the treatment of foreign slaves. In fact because, – uh, Because the Bible, especially the Old Testament, is focused on this one community. Right. How do you treat the yeah. people within your community? The foreigners right. don't so much matter. So Exodus, I mean it's, it's, it's a slavery, but it's – you could make an argument, I guess, for a kind of indentured servitude of the slaves that are mentioned in Exodus here. We're talking about every six years. Of the Israeli. Get, yeah. Yeah. Right. Of, yeah. And um, But in Leviticus 25, uh, we read, you may treat them as your property, passing them on uh, as your, to your sons as a permanent inheritance. You may treat your slaves like this, but, but the sons of Israel, your fellow countrymen, and this refers only to the males, you shall not rule over them with severity. So they're making a, a distinction between how you should treat uh, your sons of Israel, the slaves, your indentured, serv- your indentured servants, and... Slaves in, in the sense that they're foreign slaves. Yeah. So all these protections we're taught that I would refer to in Exodus, they don't apply to these foreign slaves. Um, so do does so does the Bible would the Bible condone beating them? Uh, it says that it implies that we can rule over them with severity because it says that you know the Israelites are an exception to this that we shouldn't rule them over yeah. them with severity. So yeah, we if, don't know if the there's answer. There's all to that, these passages but, that are like, okay, if you knock out their teeth, you've gone too far. If you knock out their eye, you've gone too far. Doesn't that imply that you could beat them in other ways without going too far? Right, I, right. I, it's it's just a f- you know, 
And the absurdity that we're even arguing on this kind of level, the <laughs> slavery folks, yeah, <laughs> right. we're talking, you know, they can't defend, uh, they can't condemn slavery in principle, uh, but they're going to try to hold on to some sort of, oh, well, it was a slightly more moral version yeah. of slavery than what we're And I mean, we might, we might expect that people might have a different view, you know, coming out of, out of all those years of being enslaved in Egypt, but sure. apparently that's not the case. All right. Well, we're going to take a break now. If you want to join the conversation, 616-656-1680. It looks like there's a lively conversation going on on Facebook. We'll try to get to some of those comments in just a minute. 616-656-1680, and we will be right back. Dear Jesus, I don't believe in you no more. Dear Jesus, I think you should know the score. I never met you, cause you lived a long, long time ago. Welcome back to the Reasonable Doubts live 100th episode here on WPRR. I'm Dave Fletcher, and of course with me in the studio, Mr. Jeremy Bean. Hey. And Teen Pop Sensation, and I know how much he loves being called mm. that, Mr. Justin Sheeper. Oh, I do. Yeah, it's your favorite. Um, <laughs> now, uh, of course, if you want to join in the conversation, you can call us at 616-656-1680. 616-656-1680. Um, but now, now it's time for a little bit of polyatheism. Yay. And I don't have the intro music, and it feels kind of hollow without the intro music. Uh, oh, yeah, it's time for some polyatheism. In polyatheism, we take a look at some of the many gods and goddesses that have been or continue to be worshipped throughout the world. This time, we're taking a look at the fierce goddess of the Yorba tribe in Nigeria. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah is a goddess of wind, tornadoes, change, chaos, death, and most importantly, eggplants. It's just everything, I thought. I'm actually doing a lecture on Yorba and Gola. Are you really? In just a couple of Excellent. days. This is really weird. That this. And let's and this is this is our first time getting into African mythology on the yeah. show. Huh. Um, let's face it, eggplants are delicious and one of the prettiest cousins of the tomato, and it's about <laughs> time we thanked Oya for them. So thanks, oh yeah. Oh yeah. yeah oh yeah. Uh, that's never going to get old. <laughs> Her story begins with a temperamental king slash storm god and a sexy water buffalo. The king <sighs> was named Shango, and in order to become the god of storms, he sacrificed himself by hanging from a tree. A god who sacrifices himself by hanging from a tree? Sounds familiar, right? I see you guys are familiar with the story of Odin. Checkmate, Christians. And <laughs> Jesus. Anyway, one day Shango uh, saw a water buffalo morph into a beautiful woman, the goddess Oya. Shango and Oya got hitched, which was very disappointing news to Oya's first husband, Ogan, who is kind of the Yorban equivalent of Hephaestus. If you're familiar with your Greek mythology, um, more on him in a bit. The Uncle Fester, what? Yes, Uncle Fester. Hephaestus, the smithy oh, god. I, I had that removed from my uh, uh, my house 
Might add <laughs> at very that's good. Price. That, that, so that well, can be that well can played be bad for you, just especially if you have kids. Uh, if Luke said it, we'd all be laughing right now. <laughs> uh, well, Oya was nice enough to abandon her husband for the new one. Shango held on to his two other wives, which meant it was not exactly marital bliss. One of his other wives was the sex goddess Ocean, that's O-S-H-U-N, not ocean like the body of water, uh, who wooed Shango by sticking her fingers in her gourd and wiping mm. its sweet honey on his lips. Nope, not a euphemism. Actual gourd, actual honey. <laughs> Nothing unseemly Sometimes here. Please go about your business. <laughs> Anyway, Oya tried to keep Shango all to herself by assigning her undead secret service to keep watch over him. Yes, Oya has a zombie army. Awesome. Which is one of the reasons why she's so very popular in voodoo and Santeria. She's actually the goddess invoked when making voodoo dolls. Hmm. Making a, you, know, you imbue it with the spirit of the person you're trying to curse. Yes. Oya is the one you turn to. Hmm. But Ocean managed to sneak past them possibly by smearing zombie intestines on her, like Rick and Glenn in The nah. Walking Dead. Uh, how, how does that... <laughs> that particular story point is a little unclear. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah, they cover, them with, they cover themselves with, with the oh, smells of the undead yeah, so yeah, they can I walk through it. Atlanta. Because they can smell life, you know. Because yeah. for some reason, the undead never turn to eat each other. They only they like fresh meat. Well, yeah. Never... I hate inconsistent metaphysics. It <laughs> might work with the zombies, but not with the, like, the, the angry plague. That never works. No, Why don't no, they no. attack each That's other? That's true. Um, but uh, Ocean managed to smuggle Shango out by dressing him up as a woman, which is one of two myths I can think of featuring storm gods cross-dressing. Hmm. The other is Thor, by the way, but that's a story for another episode. Uh, in all of the cross-dressing confusion, Shango forgot to take his magic gourd. Yes, he had one, too. I thought you were going to say he forgot to take his meds. <laughs> well, probably that, too. <laughs> that's why he was wearing the dress. And Oya found it tasted the paste inside, and stole Shango's fire breath. So now, whenever Oya wants to yell at her husband or smite her enemies, oh, she yeah? can shoot lightning from her mouth. Nice. That's, that does give her a considerable advantage. Yeah. Yes, it does. Uh, speaking of doing battle, Oya is a fiercer warrior than her husband, earning nicknames like the wife who is fiercer than the husband. <laughs> The, the one, one who wears the pants. That's, that's, that's a, one of her nicknames. <laughs> the one who puts the pants on to go to war. And she probably had great bumper stickers. <laughs> you're right. The one who grows a beard to grow to war. Yes, she sprouts a beard before doing battle. And I can't decide if that's sexist or not. I, I, maybe it's sexist, but uh, In order, I like warrior women, but, you know, tidy up a little. Yeah. The, the, <laughs> <laughs> uh, shave the gourd. Anyway. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Stuck with Shango, even though their marriage continues to be a bit tempestuous, appropriately so. Mm. Along with being a machete-wielding goddess shooting lightning out of her mouth, Oya is also a protector of those in need, especially women, and then the one responsible for taking your last breath and then escorting you into the underworld. She's chaotic, she's violent, she's more than a little scary and beardy. But so long as you're on her side, she's a hell of an ally to have. Now, oh, yeah. getting back to her husband, <laughs> Ogun, after being ditched by Oya, he became deeply depressed and went off to hide. Now, 
when the god of craftsmen and work in general goes missing, that means not a lot gets done on Earth and people get really lazy. Rather than working, they were playing Angry Birds Space and tweeting about Angry Birds Space and other fun, though unproductive things. By the way, Angry Birds Space is awesome. I've never played I'm, the original. I'm behind on things. Oh, I'm, it's so much fun. I'm, I'm still doing Fruit Samurai. There's atmosphere fruit and Samurai. gravity. Anyway, um, <laughs> so the gods all tried to get him out of his funk, but to no avail until, that is, Ocean stepped up to the plate. She did a sexy dance for Ogan and ended with her trademark move, dipped her fingers in her gourd, and spread its honey on Ogan's lips. You just had to say that one Again, more time on the radio. So... Get your minds out of the gutter. Ogan then became deeply devoted to Ocean, making family dinner very awkward, what <laughs> with Shango's wives having or one of Shango's wives having a romantic relationship with the ex husband of Shango's other wife and all. Not to mention the gourd touching. And awkward. the gourd touching. <laughs> Perhaps that's where Oya gets so much of her rage from. Whether that's the case or not, Oya remains a goddess to be reckoned with. And, of course, she's one more goddess worth not believing in. And there's your polyatheism for today. Now, um, Jeremy, yeah, you have another argument, worst argument... Worst argument for the existence of God. This is my favorite worst argument for the existence of God. This is the deep thought argument for God. As in the computer from Hitchhiker's? Uh, If you've read Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, um, uh, Douglas Adams writes about the the second, the world's second most advanced computer, which is the universe's second most advanced computer, which Mm -hmm. is deep thought. Deep Thought was given, what, seven and a half million years to answer, to find the uh, the answer. What? The answer to life, the universe, and everything. Mm-hmm. And, of course, the uh, the crowd breathlessly awaits the answer, and it turns out to be 42. Yes. <laughs> um, now, Douglas Adams never told anybody what 42 meant or what the significance was. Stephen Fry claims to know. Oh, really? Uh, but Stephen oh, really? Fry says, I'm taking this to my grave. <laughs> because, because, of course, Deep Thought didn't have time to compute the or was not able to compute the question yeah, they had to, to the answer a, of the meaning of it, life, the it universe, was, It was kind of like a play on, uh, on garbage in, garbage out. They weren't exactly. asked a precise, clear question, and they got this, this silly answer, 42. Yes. yes. Um, but, of course, there's been tons of speculation then as to what 42 actually meant. Mm-hmm. And I mean things like uh, if you crack open the uh, the Hitchhiker's Guide to Europe on page 42, it says the answer will not be satisfactory. Like people, <laughs> people have found That's lists fantastic. and lists and lists of, of things 42. that this could refer to. Yeah. Well, there are some people in Kabbalah who believe oh, – that uh, who actually believed that this was uh, God asserting, knowing full well that Douglas Adams was an atheist. Yes, that, an outspoken atheist. That God had the last laugh on friend this. of Richard Dawkins. Yes, uh, because the yes, actually, uh, Richard and, Dawkins introduced uh, no, um, the, yeah, or the other Douglas way Adams right. introduced yeah. Layla Ward to Richard Dawkins, and right. they've been married ever since because Douglas Adams wrote for Doctor Who, and Layla Ward played uh, Romana. This is how much of an Adams geek I am. Uh-huh. I had one opportunity with Dawkins to ask him a question. <laughs> That's what you ah. asked him about? Uh, after, after the banquet. <laughs> and I said, were you and Douglas Adams ever going to collaborate on anything? Because at the yeah, end of Adams' life, yeah. he turned into naturalistic writing. Yes. He, uh, mm. uh, and, uh, yeah, but anyways. 
so yeah, the Kabbalah and Kabbalah numerology 42 is the number which by which God creates the universe. Uh, and it's also Ooh. one of the, the the most holy name of God has 42 letters. Mm. So here's Richard Cockrum from uh, – This sounds more and more like the movie Pi. His article yeah. – <laughs> his article, is 42 really the answer? Uh, he, I know. It's amazing. You have to look it up. Well, this is uh, – I mean clearly Douglas Adams, it was just a joke. Right. It was I know. Just, it was no. just intended to be no, it a wasn't. random – No, it oh, wasn't. But no, it wasn't. No, it was God wrong. implanting Dave, the answer. You're begging the him. question. Yeah, that's, I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> Richard Cockrum says, uh, in sum, deep thought seems to be saying that the universe in general and life in particular is rooted in non-physical creative sources, intelligently organized and driven by creative passion. It has no other purpose – than to exist. Uh, yes, and then he in the comments later on says he finds this was all interesting uh, given that Adams was an atheist. Mm-hmm. But yes. Uh, yes, so the deep thought argument for God. <laughs> uh, one more argument not worth believing. In. <laughs> uh, well, on that note, let's take another break. Uh, well, and yes, call in with your worst arguments. What have you heard uh, before that just seems absolutely? Like, why would anybody believe this? Yeah, yeah. There, there's plenty of them out there. Let's so let's have a little fun at the end of the program. Sure. Six one six six five six. 1680 616-656-1680 is the number give us a call and we'll talk be right back Welcome back to Reasonable Doubts Live 100th episode. Those of you who are wondering, that was Katie Goodman from the Broad Comedy Tour singing... I'm saving my, my hymen for Jesus. Oh, I, I think wow. you're going to have to start emailing us the song titles for pre-approval now. <laughs> uh, you know what? I, I had uh, – Katie Goodman is wonderful. I had her on Reality Check. Um, oh, yeah. And she has another song that um, Broad Comedy just released called Probably Gay. Uh-huh. And it's about all of these anti-gay politicians. And in the song, set to music, they actually cite the um, pornography arousal study where oh. homophobic oh. men yeah. um, were shown to be more aroused by gay porn than yeah. non-homophobic men. It's yeah. in the That's song. Awesome. It's amazing. It's awesome. Um, citation. That's awesome. We will, we will um, have to play that on the show at some point. And actually, I'm hoping to talk to her again, too, because she's I, got a real – The more skeptical music is out there, the more often we're going to start getting songs with bibliographies attached. Yeah, yeah you're awesome. exactly right. And that'll exactly be a good right. future. Yeah, <laughs> but it's, it's a fantastic song. Um, now, um, it looks like we may have another call coming in yeah. in just a moment, but let's um, real quick talk about um, or start talking about kind of the big issue. This is the thing that people ask us all the time, um, personally and the podcast and kind of the movement in general, which is – why do it? Um, I, I'm reading from an email here. This is an email that you received, Jeremy, right? From uh, Yeah, this was actually one of my best friends in youth group when I was a Christian kid. Found me on uh, Facebook <laughs> and uh, noticed that 
uh, Jennifer and I were both good friends with yeah. uh, this person and noticed we were spending all this time on atheist activism and had a question for us. Yeah. So, and, but this is actually typical of what I hear a lot of Christians ask. Yeah. yeah. So. But but well put in this email. He says, um, uh, you both, speaking of you and your wife, but that would apply certainly to all of us here in the room, mm-hmm. seem to put so much effort into getting people to throw off religion and be free of it. My question is, why do you care so much? What is the harm in people believing that there is a God and trying to serve him? I realize you don't share this belief, but what is the harm in others believing it? Perhaps a more practical way of putting it would be, if you could shape America however you wanted in regards to religion or social agenda or whatever it is you are trying to shift, what would it look like? That's a good question and one worth considering. Uh, do we want to just mull that over for a little bit while let's, we answer our Yeah, call? let's mull that over and, and go to the phone. And if you have an answer, call in too. Absolutely. Um, yeah, those of you who have an answer to the question of why do it... 616-656-1680, or if like David in Iowa, Iowa loves us today apparently, um, <laughs> has a suggestion for another bad reason for why to believe in God. David, oh, okay. welcome. Hey. Hi, how are you guys doing? Hey, David. We're doing pretty well. Good. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. Um, just sitting here listening, and I, I couldn't come up with any better reason than the old classic. Have you guys ever seen a banana? Oh, <laughs> Ray yeah. Comfort yeah. and the gang ran yeah, into some of well, those guys at Reason Rally. I mean, if oh, you really? look at the banana, it's pretty much perfect <laughs> yes. for us to eat and totally natural. So There's a tab at the top where, you, where it fits your hand perfectly. <laughs> and by yeah. the way, the way we, most people, open bananas is the wrong way to do it. You watch a monkey, yeah. they open the oh, yeah. from the other end, and it works so much better. There we go, refuted. Yeah. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> so... The banana, Dang, the atheist worst Now I have nothing. Yeah, <laughs> you're absolutely right, though, David. That is one of the classic worst arguments for uh, the yeah. existence of God. And, and it's great because... I'm ashamed I forgot about it. Yeah, <laughs> Ray Comfort, who offers up this argument, presents it as... This is the argument that no one can possibly refute. This is this is the end of atheism, basically. <laughs> In his and, original track, that he called it the atheist nightmare. Yep. Like this is the yep. one we just can't handle. Potassium. It was, yeah. it was my nightmare, and once I heard it, I had to go back to Christianity. Um, I don't want to talk about it anymore. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, basically, I just wanted to call and say you guys are awesome. Been listening to you for a long time, and and keep up the good work. Well, thank well, you very. Thank much. Thank you so much, David. Appreciate hearing from you. All right. Once again, Iowa. Iowa loves us. It's too bad that um, Australia is – it's like 4 in the morning in Australia because we have – I know. We're big in Australia, We have a lot of really devoted listeners in Australia and and those who will be listening to it when we um, uh, send this out as a podcast, which will be probably very soon because it's the one time we don't have to do any editing. I know. That's the point. we do love our Australian listeners, too. Sorry, you. Uh, we're at an inconvenient time for most of you, but uh, we love hearing from you. And maybe sometimes we'll do a live show at a really inconvenient time for us so that it's good for you. <laughs> I'm sure that'll happen. Slumber party. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly right. So now getting back to the question, though, of why – do it. Why? I mean, for us, why are we doing this podcast? Why? Why, yeah, why do you care so much? Uh, what is the harm in believing? And that seems like the easiest question to answer. What is the What is the harm in people believing in God? And all you have to do is look at the headlines to see 
what the harm is. Right. I mean, from things like female genital mutilation, which is done as a religious practice, to uh, murder, to um, suicide bombings, to even th- right. all this anti-woman right. legislation we're here seeing in the United States. Yeah, yeah. And, the, and that's on the the very extreme end. Yeah, of obviously. course. Obviously, um, but there's a you know there's a lot of things that are are much more closer to home. They're they're not as extreme, but they count. Uh, for example. Um, Abstinence-only education, right? Mm. Yes. Yeah. Leads to misinformation about contraception. And it, it leads, leads to pregnant leads to, young women. Yes, yeah, spread of disease. And disease. This, this focus on uh, rushing rushing children to get married before mm-hmm. uh, so that they, they don't have sex out of wedlock, um, we noticed leads really drives, drives high divorce <laughs> right, rates yeah. in these communities. Uh, it encourages people to stay in dead-end abusive marriages. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a lot of things that are, are you know, they're not as sensationable as Sensational. <laughs> Sensationable. They're, they're not as This is why we don't usually go right. live, uh, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, because we say things like that. But There's yes. not as sensational as terrorism, uh, yeah. but, but, they, uh, but they matter. Gay uh, rights, for yeah. example. I mean, and, and just bullying is yeah. um, a major right. influence, or it comes largely from religion in and, a lot of these instances. And, and all. All unjustified belief is is potentially dangerous, right. but it just happens to be that you know that that religion seems to be the mascot. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Kind of thing. W- William Clifford, uh, uh, in one of his essays, uh, it was in the 1800s. He wrote this: uh, the duty of inquiry. Um, he made a really good point against people saying like, well, some of these superstitious beliefs are harmless, right? right. They're mm-hmm. not going to affect right. anybody. And he says, uh, no, actually, they lay a they lay a, a stealthy train in the mind. And what, yes. what he meant was like a fuse to dynamite, uh, saying you never know when an innocuous belief might actually blow up to be something very devastating. Right. And we, we get a we get a sense of that with say like stem cell research, yeah, and cloning. Yes. Right. Yes. This uh, a, a belief about ensoulment might not even matter, and then suddenly a new scientific discovery comes along, and yep. this belief is going to be holding back progress right. that could save lives. Yep. Um, we've got another caller on the line, uh, John, calling from Minnesota. Welcome, John. Hello. You, you've Hello. got another stupid argument for God? Yes, and it's, uh, it's a stupid argument, but it gets passed off for an intelligent one, and that's what really... Those are the best uh, ones. I, yes, those are the best. <laughs> uh, it's the one where people say, well, there's either God did it, which is the way the religion person would look at it, that mm-hmm. God created everything, or there's the choice of everything came from nothing, which is what the uh, scientists say. Yeah. And it, so it's just, a, they're, they're both the same, really. It's kind of false equivalence between uh, naturalistic explanations and uh, and a theistic one. Right. Yes, and this this is often told as a story that maybe a professor told or somebody oh right, uh, right, right. Uh, yeah. presented, or even it was in the Washington Post not too long ago from a woman who has done the religion articles for a long time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, this this kind of really, thing this this kind of thing ignores uh, you know what what we mean when we appeal to good explanations. Right, um, and right. historical precedent. I mean, if, if there's a explanation that we posit for something that has uh, embarrassing historical failure track behind it, uh, you know, it doesn't. That's that's an argument against it. Yeah. yeah, it completely ignores that. Well, the the scientific explanation involves a scientific method and involves some really mm-hmm. difficult math that right. you're obviously wanting to avoid thinking about. Yeah, yeah, and and in the end, it really uh, it really comes down to this. Uh, 
you know, both both atheists and theists are saddled with the same problem, and that is, it, it seems like something just exists, uh, and that we can't account for it any any further than that. Mm-hmm. Um, you can't just keep on going back and asking why, and so it's uh, and so. Of course, the theist always likes to likes to push that question back one step from matter, energy, the universe, mm-hmm. the things that we can observe, quantify, and actually talk. And add in the about, supernatural, and add in all these yeah, this, these mountain of assumptions, uh, and, and somehow feel like then their answer is superior for that reason. Right. And I think uh, atheists just need to get comfortable saying. Yeah, we don't, we don't know, know about yeah. some things. And in fact, it might be impossible to know. The yeah. question, uh, why is there something instead of nothing, might not be an intelligible question. Exactly. Right. Like, like Neil deGrasse Tyson says, um, um, at what temperature does the numeral 7 melt? Yeah. Is a question in that it ends with a question mark, but right. it doesn't actually mean anything. And, and, we and talked that, about that, that may be the case. We talked about that before. I mean, that the question assumes that nothing is a default state, right? Exactly. And that, and that something is what would require an right. explanation. Right. And that's just not necessarily the case. Well, uh, thanks very much for your call, John. Well, thanks for taking my call. Yep, thanks for listening out there in Minnesota. Um, now we have an, another call coming in. Um, this is Alex in Germany. Ooh, sweet. Hello. Hello, Alex. Hey, How Alex. are you? I'm fine. Um, I, I'm moved to uh, respond to this question on uh, what is it that just makes uh, religion dangerous. Right. And regardless, it, just ignoring all the effects that we see in the headlines, which I have to say, you know, bad enough, obviously. Mm-hmm. The core problem for me with religion, uh, or with any system that resembles this, is that it structurally exempts itself from rational criticism. Mm-hmm. Yeah? It requires everybody not to criticize it. And this is, is kind of unique in human endeavor, other than in situations, I mean, it's, you have to say this is the perennial tactic of, of the bully, of the dictator, of the domestic tyrant. It actually, it's a mindset that embodies fascism. <laughs> yeah. Well said. Very well said indeed. Uh, yeah, yeah, it is. It's and it's it's the it's the way we should think, like the way virtuous thought takes place. It turns it on its head. Mm-hmm. You know what we should be doing is submitting our ideas to scrutiny, seeing if they actually can live up under under difficult tests, and not holding our minds captive. Right, yeah, right, right, and being willing to change as new evidence comes comes along, uh, and. Uh, uh, you know that is what's compatible with growth, change, and an open society. Uh, this religion just turns that on its head by uh, by making these truths paramount, and everything else has to uh, has to be submissive to that. But and and worse even so, it 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 makes it makes the idea of questioning certain things an immoral act, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. which is which is incredibly dangerous. Yeah. yeah. If I could just add, uh, the only time you actually need this argument is when you want to behave unreasonably or irrationally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. If you uh, just want to think unreasonably and irrationally, you don't need to write it down. You don't need to have a religion to, to sugarcoat it. Mm-hmm. It's only when you actually want to behave unreasonably that you reach for this, uh, what should we say, absurdly ornate justification. Right. right. Yeah. yeah, that's an excellent point. Yeah, uh, thank you so much for your call, Alex. Well, thank you.
thank you for your program. I, I, it's the high spot of my week. Oh, great. Excellent. Glad to hear that. And thanks for listening out in Germany. Wow, we're hearing from people all around the world today. Uh, in, in, the, uh, in the German spirit, uh, uh, Nietzsche once pointed out, he said uh, one of the reasons why he hated Christianity so much was it taught bad reading. <laughs> and, <laughs> in, in other words, uh, you know, you, you learn in these churches to open up the Old Testament and read Jesus into everything. Right. And you actually yeah. discipline yourself in, uh, in finding inter- self-serving interpretations where there are none. It's just bad for the intellect. Yeah. Right. Excellent point. Thanks for the calls. Um, if you want to join in the conversation, you can call at 616-656-1680. Um, we're talking about bad arguments for God. We're talking about why atheist activism is important and so forth. 616-656-1680. And we will be back for our last 10 minutes of the show. So call in now. Welcome back to the last segment here on the 100th episode of Reasonable Doubts live. Call us at 616-656-1680. As usual, I'm Dave Fletcher, and here with me, Mr. Jeremy Bean. Hello. And teen pop sensation, Justin Schieber. Hello. So where do you think there's 100-plus hours of us out there uh, it's on the a, Internet? It's Terrifying. We're also getting really close to two million downloads uh, overall of the show. It's uh, it's really grown in the past couple of years. So. To be fair, that's mostly just me. <laughs> <laughs> I delete it and then I download it again because it really helps it really our iTunes yeah. rating. Yeah. So yeah, that that does help. But uh, yeah, it's it's amazing. And Justin, you're how long have you been on the show uh, now? About just a year. Over a year. Now, almost. Yeah. Almost. Uh, yeah. February is when I started. Yeah, just over a year. So it's. Um, it's been a lot of fun. And, of course, people are still disappointed we don't have a woman on the show. Um, I, I, I try to fulfill that role. But. I know. Well, you know, gender reassignment <laughs> surgery is an expensive process. I think I think given that we're some of the least macho men you'll ever meet, yeah. I mean, that's that's not quite the same as having a woman on we the show. We balance it out. And, and of course, Jeremy and I both have um, – Strong women who keep us in line when it comes to <laughs> certainly. to that sort of thing. So, oh, yeah. Um, oh, it looks like we're getting some calls in. But um, in just the last few minutes of the show here, um, I, I guess w- what I want to do more than anything else is thank everyone yeah. for yeah. Uh, taking part in this episode and, and, more importantly, taking part in the last 100 episodes. Mm-hmm. You know, we're coming up on five years that's weird. 2007, yeah. October of 2007 is, I believe, when our first episode dropped. Um, and it's all been word of mouth. We've never advertised. We've never done. We are things <laughs> yeah. we should start doing. You're, you're absolutely right. Uh, but it's always been completely word of mouth from the yeah. very beginning. And, so uh, thanks yeah. to our listeners for spreading the word because if it were just us reaching out to people, we'd have a dozen listeners because none of us are very social. No, not at all. Especially Luke. <laughs> um, so, um, yeah, thank you so much for that. And all of the reviews on iTunes, especially the nice ones, um, are are very helpful. 
Um, and the emails are great. And I know we don't get a chance to respond to every single email, especially not on air. No, um, that's our biggest mm-hmm. flaw as a podcast. It is. is we are really, yeah. we are really crappy to our listeners, <laughs> who are so good to us, who are really good to us. And yeah. uh, we're gonna try to do much better about that yeah. in the following year, and and have more things like this, and and interact with the email and the blogs more. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah, that has been an issue in the past is uh, people are so outgoing and, and willing to talk to us and we we all feel so busy. And <laughs> You know what? Yeah. We, we've we got to take this call. Okay, let's um, do it. We absolutely have to take this call. Um, Uh-oh. This is coming from um, Xander. Xander in Massachusetts, are you there? Yeah, I'm you. Hi, Xander. How are you? Good. And, and what were you calling us about today, Xander? Um, well... They say that God can do everything, uh-huh. <laughs> and he can make everything good, but he created the devil. The yeah. devil is destroying their own argument there. <laughs> and then there's all these horrible disasters, like tornadoes, um, tsunamis, earthquakes, and God could stop those if he was real. Yeah. Wow. Epicurus on the phone. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, Xander, I, I, I'm told here that, that you're 11 years old. Uh, it's amazing because you are already smarter than a majority of people on Earth. <laughs> or at least you figured this one out. Yeah, right. absolutely. I, it's I, it's so great. You know, having kids myself, I'm so excited to hear from our, our younger listeners. And Xander, thank you so much yeah. for calling well, in. Xander, Xander, uh, you know, do you do you t- do you share this with your friends or your teachers and stuff? What do they say when you when you bring well, this up? I don't with them. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, it could be kind of kind of scary going out on a limb and talking about that stuff. Yeah. 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 Well, thank you so much for giving us a call. Okay, you're welcome. Thank you, Xander. Great talking <laughs> to you. Thanks. Bye. 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 Um, and we've got one more quick call here. Um, Rebecca calling from Canada. Apparently just everywhere in Canada. Hi, Rebecca. Hey, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. And you want to talk about the Humanist Community Project. Yeah, you guys are talking about atheist activism. And I know for me, I've been a member of several atheist communities. And one thing I noticed is I just, there was something missing. Like, I grew up, like several of you, um, as an evangelical, as a, you know, huge community movement with lots of uh, activities. And I just was wondering what you guys thought about that, because I, I'm still attracted to celebration and even ritual. And I know ritual is a really dirty word for some atheists. Yeah. But uh, I just was curious what you guys, some thoughts that you guys had about that movement, because I know it's been a bit of a controversy in some circles. So. Well, Fletch and I are both celebrants. I mean, I don't yeah. know how this directs. Well, oh, I'm a celebrant, too. It's yeah. so funny. I'm not really a humanist celebrant. I, I am a pastor in the Church of the Dude. Okay. <laughs> um, so I, do, I have performed weddings. <laughs> but, you know, this is, this is unfortunately, I think, a larger topic than we can get yeah. into in yeah, the last couple of minutes. Yeah. But um, it's, a, it's an excellent topic. Um, I appreciate you calling in, Rebecca. And it's something, hopefully, even on our next episode, we can talk about more at length because... We're just we're just out of time here. Yeah. Oh no yeah. worries. I think we can we can leave it at that. We, we do agree that community at least absolutely plays a role, it, and we want to help uh, we want to help people in in those areas that churches traditionally serve. We yeah. want that to be available to non-believers too. Absolutely. Uh, shoot us an email, Rebecca, and we'll uh, we'll keep this discussion going, and um, we'll talk about it on the show soon. Okay. Great. Thanks a lot. All right. Thank you for calling. Mm-hmm. 
Um, now, in our last couple of minutes here, I just want to um, wrap up by offering some thanks. And we've been brought some champagne, so yeah. we can we can do a toast here. Um, who would like to do the honors as far as the toasting goes? <laughs> Uh, well, uh, I I can do that. Go uh, ahead. If you want. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one of the things on Facebook that people uh, shared is they wanted to know where the where the show came from, how it started. And uh, uh, I can I can address that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it started off, unfortunately, I really wish Luke could be here. Uh, but uh, it started off with Luke Galen and I having conversations uh, at dinner parties and cookouts uh-huh. and stuff and finding out that people were surrounding us and listening to us and wanted to hear what we had to say. And uh, um, we got the idea. Somebody else at CFI uh, Michigan or Free Thought, uh, was Free Thought Association of West Michigan had the idea of doing a show. And uh, right away, Dave was one of the first people to volunteer. I think I cornered you after yeah. a yeah. CFI <laughs> on-campus and meeting, actually. I did one actually. of these uncomfortable, like, oh, I don't know, maybe yeah. we'll find a place. Who is this guy? But, yeah, you were the leader <laughs> of the on-campus group That's at right. the time. And mm-hmm. we thought, uh, we thought, well, we, we should get a student perspective on these things, too. And um, Too bad that didn't work out. Yeah, we made a, <laughs> we made a terrible first show uh, called, yes, called Freethinker's Guide to Religion. It was a yeah, to yeah. pay homage to Skeptic's Guide, which was an inspiration in the early years. Um, and uh, instead of giving up on that, we decided to give it a shot with the three of us, mm-hmm. call it Reasonable Doubts. And, uh, and we did uh, for no other reason than – I think all of us, I think you, Dave, me, and Luke, we had all this stuff we'd studied in mm-hmm. religion for all this time that was just wasting away in our heads. Uh, but as we started sharing it, we started getting these emails coming in where people start saying, like we heard from the caller, like, I actually feel less lonely with you guys yeah. out there. That what you're saying, I've thought these things myself and I don't have anybody to talk to about it. Uh, or thank you, you've you've made a major difference in my life. You've mm-hmm. you've helped me to let go of religion, uh, and uh, I think over time that's what you know because all of us have been stressful. We all have obligations, yeah. but over time that's what's kept us going. And I'm proud of what we've done, guys, and uh, I hope we continue to do it for years, uh, years more. All right, amen. Here here's to reasonable doubts. And before we go, and we are in our last seconds here, I want to say thank you to you gentlemen for the last 100-plus episodes. Thank you to Jennifer Bean for... Um, uh, <laughs> Cardboard Luke Galen can't drink. Guys. No. Uh, <laughs> Sorry. Jennifer for taking care of our in-studio guests here, my lovely wife, Chris Fletcher, for answering the phones, everyone who came down here, uh, and special people um, who have helped us along the way, Jefferson Seaver, Ed Brayton, and Bob Goodrich, and WPRR. Yep. We literally would not be here without them. So thanks to all of those people. And we'll be back soon with more Reasonable Doubts, your skeptical guide to religion.